You're listening to Freedom Christian Fellowship's podcast. Well, so we're going to get started in the Gospel of John and what we're going off of as we go through this um, series for the next 11 weeks that's going to lead us into Easter is this theme that the gospel is Jesus and Jesus changes everything. The gospel is Jesus and Jesus changes everything. Okay. So what I want to do today is I want to kind of break this down into three different parts and, and, and so we understand is I'm going to give you a little bit of background on, on the gospel of John just some, some information on why the Gospel of John is so important. And then we're going to just cover the first part of John chapter 1, because in there we see some powerful foundational truths about who Jesus is. And then finally we're going to bring it all together and say, well, how does that change our life? How does that change our life? If Jesus changes everything, how does what we know to be truth about who Jesus is change us? Okay, so I want to encourage you again, if, if you like to do this, take notes, write them down, put them in your phone. Um, this is not your time to place bets on the Super Bowl. Um, so uh, that being said, let's pray real quick. All right, Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus for who you are, and Lord, that the Kansas City Chiefs will win. Amen. All right. Okay, here we go. All right, let's look at the Gospel of John. Just some basic things that we need to know. And again, Pastor Chris said this, that we need to understand the context, the nature. We need to know about what we read, right? It's a gift that's been given to us. So the who, the when, and the why. So the Gospel of John, most scholars agree that it was written by John, the beloved disciple, the one who also wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And John's Gospel is very unique. He wrote it toward the tail end of his life, somewhere around the 90s AD. It was written after the other Gospels, or what we call the Synoptic Gospels. I'll talk about that in just a second. But the why is what John actually tells us. He tells us why he wrote that book in John 20, 31. And this is what John says. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Anointed One, the Messiah, the Savior, God, the Son of God, And that by believing, you may have life in his name. This is why John wrote this book, and this is the theme that just goes throughout the entire gospel of John. But I want to stop for just a second and explain to you how John's gospel is different from the other three. A lot of times, if we don't understand, we just kind of lump them together, and they're all equally important. They all serve a purpose. But John stands out as being a little unique from the synoptic gospels. The synoptic gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And what the word synoptic, synoptic, if I can say it correctly, means is this, to see through. And basically when you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're written a little differently to different audiences for a different reason, but they contain a lot of the same information. And the difference with John is this, is that John breaks chronological order. He starts not with the, 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 the history of Jesus, the lineage of Jesus, as do the other Gospels, but he starts from the very beginning, and there's a reason why. John's focus is this, to tell us who Jesus is, not just what he did. 
He tells us who he is. And we should all be very thankful for the gospel of John because John go- John's gospel goes into great detail. The Holy Spirit used it to show us these two truths that are so important to uh, what we believe about Jesus is in that he is both Messiah and he is God. He is Messiah and he is God. Now we say that and we go, well, duh, we know that. But the reason why you know that is because of John. You know that because somebody labored over this, that the Holy Spirit used somebody to write this down, to prove in detail. And sometimes, sometimes, and again, we don't talk enough about this, but we stand on the shoulders of a lot of arguments and discussions that happened in the early church that really helped to shape the truth of the doctrine of who Jesus is. If I were to tell you that even from the very beginning, of when the church was formed, that the argument that Jesus really wasn't God was widely, widely perpetuated within the body of Christ. You might not know that, but it was true. That the enemy slipped in at the very beginning and said, ah, he's not really God. He was a man who became God. That's not true. That is not true. He is both man and God, but he was not a man who became God. There is argument to say that he was just a philosophical leader, similar to a lot of the Greek philosophers of the day. That is not true. He is God. He is God. He is God. And John goes into great detail about this. He focuses on the who. John's gospel is different in the, in the understanding of where he started. He does not follow a chronological order, but he talks about Jesus God from creation, I am. We're going to talk more about that in just a little bit. To help us know that Jesus is God. John has seven miracles in it, six of which are unique. And then we'll be covering in this series. I'm just going to tell you too, really quick, that, and maybe you never knew that, that John's accounts of the miracles of Jesus are are mostly unique to the gospel of John and they tell us something very important about who Jesus is turning water into wine can I get an amen no (laughs) everybody goes yes thank you Jesus all right oh forget it okay that happens in John's gospel but also so does the raising of Lazarus that's unique to John's gospel as well All important things about who Jesus is as God, as Messiah, as God. There's also something unique in the Gospel of John that makes it stand out. Are the declarations that Jesus makes of himself using the words, I am. And why is this so important? Why should we pay attention to this? Why are these significant statements? There's there's a twofold reason. First, is that I am is the name of God. In Exodus 3, verse 14, when God set Moses apart and he has the encounter with God at the burning bush and God tells him, you're going to go into Egypt and deliver the Israelites out of Egypt. Moses asks a logical question. Who am I going to tell the Israelites that you are? And God responds back and says this, I am who I am. This is where we get the term Yahweh from. And let me tell you really quick, let me nerd out on you for just a second, because it's significant to you because of what it means and because of the truth. We sing about it. We read about it. 
Yahweh means this, he who is, or he who brings being into being, the existent one, the all-powerful one. It's a tetragrammaton. <laughs> Use that in Scrabble, I dare you. You'll win. And what that means is a four-letter word comprised in the, in the Jewish alphabet, and I'm not going to say these letters in their Jewish name. I can't. But it's the letters Y-H-W-Y, where we have transliterated that into Yahweh. We added the vowels. It was a name in the Old Testament, and even in Judaism today, too holy to speak. But yet Jesus refers to himself as I am. And John writes this in on purpose. Why? Because Jesus is God. He is God. Each of these things that I'm going to read you in just a second, these I am statements testify to the truth of who God is. And we see that through Jesus. Jesus says, I am the bread of life, the living bread in John 6. He says, I am the light of the world, John 8. He says, before Abraham was, I am, John 8 again, I am the door, John 10, I am the good shepherd, John 10, I am the resurrection and the life, John 11, I am the way, the truth and the life, John 14, I am the true vine, John 15, I am he, John 18. All of these point to the truth that Jesus spoke that we have to understand and we have to know that when God spoke to Moses in Exodus 3 and said, I am, what he is saying, Jesus is saying is this, is that I am God. When you see the Father, you have seen me. John gives a high Christology. He goes into depth to prove that Jesus is both Messiah and God. And again, this theme runs through the book Focusing on both the divinity and the messiahship of Jesus. So why is this important for us to understand? Messiah was prophetically spoken in the Old Testament for the purpose of redemption. And Israel thought that they needed a different type of redeemer than what Jesus came as. But what Jesus came as and why he is Messiah and the redemption he gave is the most complete revelation of the term redemption. He liberated man from the, the sin that beset it, the death that sin brought. He broke the pattern of this world that we could live in new life, that we could have relationship with God. This is the redemption that Messiah brings. Also to let us know that there will be a day when he returns and he takes authority over this earth again. This is who he is. John needed us to see that he is Messiah, but also to understand that he is also God. Why? Because according to the Old Testament, the way that Jewish be Jews believed was this, is that Messiah was going to come and bring earthly redemption. That he was a man, but he was not God. Some of you don't know that. But they likened him unto David. They looked for a David-esque figure to come and to restore the authority given to Israel in Jerusalem, in Israel, to, to restore that. 
But what John is telling us here is this, is that Jesus is not just Messiah, but he is also God. And why must he be God also? Because he has the authority to bring new life, to restore all things. He's complete. He's complete. Friends, if Jesus was just a man, then he simply just died in vain. He simply just performed some wonderful things that were shocking and and amazing. But he just simply died in vain. But because he is God, he broke the power of death. The understanding and the revelation of our redemption is rooted in the fact that he is able to redeem and powerful enough to complete it in us. And only God could do that. Only God could do that. All right. There's an application for us today when we choose to see it, when we ask the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to this. And it's simple. That Jesus changes everything for us. He challenges the misconceptions of our understanding of lordship right from the start. And we're going to see that in just a second. He also challenges us, and if we... We're going to be challenged to see this as we go through this series, and it's going to be fun. And we have to lean into the Holy Spirit, but he challenges the misconceptions on societal norms. We see this in the conversation that we see in the Gospel of John with the Samaritan woman, where Jesus crosses over normal societal boundaries and presents the Gospel himself to this woman. And brings life to this woman. And we're going to be challenged with that. We're going to see Jesus stretching these boundaries. And it has perfect application for us today. He proves that he is the resurrection in life. Greater than death. That has application for us today. And so at the very start of this. I want to invite you to open your heart up. And to invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you in a fresh way. About who Jesus is. About who Jesus is. Now let's talk about this. Go to John 1. John 1, 1 through 4. It says this. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. And without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Oh, there is so much truth in those first four verses. Let's talk about who Jesus is. The first thing that we see here is this. Write this down in some, some way. Just put this in your notes. It says that he is the word. That he is the word. And that word that we read there is the word logos. But sometimes we get the wrong understanding of what this means. Because this does not mean that Jesus is the Bible. This is not what John is saying here. He's not saying that Jesus is the Bible. No, the Bible tells us of Jesus, but Jesus is not the Bible. The Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit, but Jesus is not the Bible. Instead, here John is writing to his audience and he's explaining something to them that would help them to understand 
that Jesus is God right from the very start. To the Greek hearers of that day, their understanding was this. When they heard the term, the word, it was a philosophical point of wisdom, the highest truth. We see that same thing, don't we? Sometimes we try to push Jesus into that corner, and we've heard Jesus pushed into that corner as, as just merely a, a good philosopher or a good idea, somebody that came and presented wisdom to us. But to those who would have heard it then, when they heard John refer to Jesus as the word, the Greek hearers would have said this. They would have said, we, you've looked for who the word is. You've looked for who wisdom is. And now I'm going to show you who he is. He is Jesus. He is Jesus. He is Jesus. And then to the Jewish believers that would have been reading this, the term the word was used to refer to God. That in the Old Testament and in their tradition, that they referred to God as the word. And he would in turn be speaking to them and looking at them and telling him this, you have looked for who God is. You have looked through the word, but now I show you who he is. He is Jesus. And what John is saying in overwhelming language is this, when he writes that he is the word, is he's telling us that he is God. He looks at us and tells us, I'll tell you who the word is. He is Jesus. He is Jesus. The second thing that John says is this, and I'm not kicking a dead horse here, but I am bringing out the truth, the magnitude of the truth that is in these first four verses here is he says that he is God. That he is God. And why is this important for us to understand? Because he's not God. He's not from God. He's not begotten of God. He's not lesser than God. Let me explain it to you like this. And again, the doctrine in this is amazing, and I hope that you appreciate this. I really do. I'm going to get to the application soon enough, but we can't pass through this, okay? So hear me on this. Because some of you are asked, have been asked in your life, why do you believe Jesus is God? Maybe you've gotten into a Facebook argument. Is Jesus the only way? And John really solidifies the answer for us right here. I have a son. And my son is begotten of me. And my wife, really. She did most of the work. <laughs> Y'all can laugh at that. Come on. Everybody lighten up for a second. But as great as my son is, as phenomenal as he is, he's taller than me. He's not quite stronger than me yet. But he'll get there one day. When I'm about 80, you know, I'll be there. <laughs> Every guy in the room says, that's right. That's right. I'll still whoop my boy, right? Amen. <laughs> Thank you, Rocky. But because my son is begotten of, of me, I want you to hear this. He's lesser than me. Some of you are going, no, that's not the way we work with kids. No, no, no. No, yes, it is. If you have small children, they're dependent on you, right? If you have small children, they, they, they require you to feed them, to care for them, to get them from point A to B, right? To take care of them, right? But here is what we see in the Gospel of John and what's so important. Because again, friends, just take it from me in this point that this was an argued thing in the early church. 
is that John's gospel is telling us this, that Jesus is God. He is equal with God. He is God. He's not a man-made God. He's not a philosophical understanding or a higher principle. He is God. We see Jesus even say this in John's gospel in, in, in John 14, 8 and 9, in a conversation with Philip. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. They were thinking along these lenses here, that there was a difference between Jesus and God. And this is what Jesus answered. He said, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Jesus is hitting this home, this truth that we almost all must stand on, that he is God, that he is God. The third thing that we see in this first four verses of John 1 is it says that he is the beginning. He is the, in the, he is the beginning. And this is not something that we can understand through an earthly perspective. Why? Because he had no start. He had no start. In the same way that he says, I am, that statement brings this truth out that he is the beginning. He had no start before the existence of all things. He was. He is at the beginning. He was. Why is this significant to us? Why do, what, what is, this, is, this more, is this just mere information that we take in and we have to check the box to say, yes, this is who Jesus is? No. Why is it significant that he is the beginning? Because in our life, when we go to Jesus with our issues and our problems, don't we always say and look through the lens of our past? Don't we always go and say, God, all these things happened, all these mistakes occurred, all these problems that I faced, they all happened. God, can you create something new in me? Jesus, I want to trust you to create something new in me. But when we go back to the revelation of who Jesus truly is, that John tells us and understand that he is the beginning, there was nothing before him. We know that he has the authority to make all things new. He never looks at us and says, oh, man, that one took me by surprise. I didn't realize you made that mistake a month ago. I did not see that. Instead, he says, no, I who I am, the one who is God, the one who is truth, the one who is from the beginning, created in you everything that you are going to be. And if you trust me, it will be perfected according to my will. Do you see that? See, because the option is this, is that we either trust our plans, right? Or we begin to trust the one who was from the beginning. I would much rather trust my future and the one who from the, from, the, from the beginning of all things planned and created me. He put me, formed and fashioned me. He knew me. He set my days before me. I would much rather trust that. I hope that makes sense. The next thing that John 1, 1 through 4 tells us this, and we talked about this already today, is that he is creator. And this speaks of the nature 
of the beautiful mystery and wonderful truth of the triune Godhead. In Genesis 1, when it talks about the creation narrative, the story, that in agreement, the one God, God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, God the Holy Spirit, spoke the world into being. And this spoke volumes to the readers of the day, and it should reassure us and, and create revelation inside of us as well. That Jesus is God, the triune God, who spoke the worlds into being. And as he spoke, all the creation happened. He is the creator of all life. In John 14, 6 and 7, Jesus answered, he says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Listen to what Jesus is saying. As a creator, he is the one who brings life to us. He is the only creator. He is the one who spoke the worlds into being. He is the one that speaks life into you. He has the ability at his word to transform your life. He is creator. He is creator. Now I want you to think about that in terms of your physical body. We subject so much of our physical body to the things that we hear and we see on this earth. But have you ever stopped and thought and told your body to come under the authority of the creator? I remember a powerful truth that my mom told me one day. I was worried about something in my physical body. And she stopped and she looked at me and she said, tell your body to come under submission to the creator. Tell your fear to come under the submission of the creator of peace. Pastor, it's only strange if we don't believe that Jesus is not creator. But if we believe that he is the creator who took from nothing and created everything, then we come under that authority as well. And that brings an overwhelming amount of grace to our life. Jesus changes everything. What are you facing right now that seems too big? Have you submitted it to the creator? Have you submitted it to the creator? Jesus is the creator. The next thing that John 1, 1 through 4 tells us is that he is the life. He is the only source of life. Life cannot be found apart from him. He is the only means to salvation. There is not another way. Our trust and our faith must firmly be placed in him. He is the life. In John 6, 35, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. He is life. He is life. There is not another way. He is life. The last thing that Jesus says about himself, as said about Jesus in John 1, 1 through 4, is that he is light. And John presents a unique truth here. And again, it's something that the readers of the day would have understood and something that we too need to understand. And this is the principle is that there is no middle ground. We either belong to darkness or we belong to light. Before Jesus came to this earth, there was no light. There was no light. 
But there's something powerful that John 1, 1 through 4 tells us this. It tells us is this, that when the light of the world came, when he who is God, equal with God, creator, life giver, came as the light, the Bible tells us that the darkness could not comprehend it. And let me tell you exactly what this means. It means this, is that darkness could not solve the riddle of light. There is not ever a scenario where darkness will ever be greater than light. Do you hear that? And when Jesus, the scripture speaks of Jesus being the light, here is what he's telling us is this, is that when we invite the light of the world to come in and it shines upon our life and we see ourselves, we turn to him, we repent, we lean into him, we lean into his grace and the darkness in us dissipates, it goes, but also we carry that light into the world. Jesus spoke in John 8, 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Darkness, sin, the enemy cannot overshadow him. He is the light of the world. He is the light of the world. This changes everything. This changes everything. The truth of who Jesus is changes everything for us. Let's drop down into John 1, 9 through 14. It says this, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, and his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children, born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen. Make sure that's highlighted in whatever Bible you use, whether it's on your phone or a paper Bible. So here's some questions. If this changes everything, and these are things that we need to ask ourselves based on the word. The first is this. Do we see him and have we received him? Do we see him and have we received him? The Bible tells us this, that the creator came to creation and and, and that which was his own, they did not receive him. They did not recognize him. But the question, I believe, is still relevant to us today. Because I believe this question of, have we received him? Do we see him? Is a question of obedience and submission. How should the created respond to the creator? How should we as a created respond to Jesus, the creator? The better question that I believe John presents is this. How do we see him? How do we see him? Do we see him as the one who has authority to guide our lives? Because this is what salvation is. When we look at it through John's gospel... When we invite the Creator to come in to be the Lord of our life, what we are doing is saying, Jesus, 
I see you and I have received you. I hear you, I will be obedient and submitted to you. How do we see him? Does he have the authority to guide our lives? Do we trust him for the care of our lives? Do we trust him for the care of our lives? Have we found the true peace that comes from being submitted to him? And is receiving Jesus, this is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stir some pots here. Is receiving Jesus just a simple statement that we make alone? And the answer to that is yes and no. We come to faith through grace when we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth and it happens that fast. But the work of salvation in our life is ongoing. I think when we say that, there's a little bit of fear that steps into us because what happens is this, is that we go, well, then how do we know if we're truly saved? So let me help you. I'm going to dip back into the tabernacle for just a second. I'm going to explain to you God's order when he commanded Moses to build the tabernacle. And when you would walk into the outer courts of the tabernacle, here's what you would see. Is that you would see a brazen altar that was large, it was big. And there would be hooks on all the four corners. And what would happen is that you would bring your sacrifice that was in accordance to God's word to the priest. And that they would hang that animal up on the corner there and they would slaughter that animal and then they would set it on top of that altar that had a continual fire in it. And that fire would consume certain parts of the flesh of that animal as an incense going up to God. Now let me stop and tell you this. That all of this was a picture and a type of Jesus Christ. Why? Because we don't sacrifice animals anymore. Why? Because he who is I am, he who is God, was made flesh, 100% man and 100% God, and became the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. Why you need to understand that he is at the beginning as well. Before all things, he was. Before all things, the sacrifice was made for you. Why? Because if it was made at a certain point in time, in chronological order of mankind, then there would have been a period of time that that sacrifice didn't cover. But because he is God and he is the beginning, it was made outside of time and it covers all sin for mankind. And that's the first thing is when we trust in that sacrifice. That is the very first thing that we do. I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth. I put my faith and my trust in the sacrifice of Jesus. He alone is the life and the light. He alone can cover the debt of my sin. Stop, period. But the next thing you would see is this. Is that there would have been a basin made of copper. That was perfect and shiny, and the outside of it, it was so perfect that it was a mirror. 
and the priests, before they would go into the holy place, in the most holy place, God commanded them to wash their hands and to wash their feet. And as they stepped down off of that basin, they could look into the reflection of that, of that basin and they could see themselves. And what that speaks of to us today is this. And this draws us into this picture of salvation and submission and obedience. Is that after we come to faith in Jesus Christ... We need to present ourselves to God and allow the Holy Spirit to look at us. Not because we're not saved, but so that we see our lives in light of the sacrifice of Jesus. Does that make sense? That is sanctification. And we come in and we say, Holy Spirit, am I living in submission to you? Am I being obedient in my words, in my decisions, in my relationships, in the direction of my life? Does it reflect the truth of the beautiful sacrifice that Jesus made that made me clean? Only one thing gets you into relationship, it gets you into heaven, that's the sacrifice. But we are invited into that place of submission and obedience. So that we get to be the reflection of Jesus. Does that make sense? So when we go back to this picture and we ask ourselves this question, and Jesus said, I came into that which I created, and the creation did not recognize me. Do we see him and have we received him? Are we living in that place? For some of you, the question starts at the altar. Have you received him as Lord of your life? Have you allowed the sacrifice that he made at the cross to cover the debt of your sin? If not, Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. But for all of us, we have to look into the mirror and ask the Holy Spirit, am I reflecting that? Am I reflecting that? Now, here's the good news. Because that's not a burden. That's not a burden. That's a joy. That's a joy. Jesus says this in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 and 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Justin, come on up, man. Have we trusted his authority to guide our lives? Do we trust his care for our life? Have we find, found the true peace that comes from being submitted to him? As a side note on this particular point, I think that sometimes that we forget the significance of being a community in this concept. Whether that is a community of your covenant if you're married, if you're heading the same direction, or the, or the community of the covenant of the body of Christ. Can I, can I just say it real simple like this? Is that there's times... That I don't see myself the way that I really am. And I need to be encouraged to be what Jesus has created me to be. And that's just one thing that community does for us. To challenge us, to encourage us, to bring us to this place. Why? Because as we choose to take the yoke that Jesus has given us upon us. The promise is this, 
is that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. In this place, we find rest for our souls. For our souls. Don't be confused. You're going to be yoked up to something. You're going to be yoked up to something. Be yoked up to Jesus. Be yoked up to Jesus. The second question is this. How does the way that we see him change the way that we approach him? And this is in a beautiful statement about grace and truth, I believe. Because Jesus says here in John 1, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent nor of human decision of the husband's will, but born of God. Do we see in our lives that wonderful grace that has been given to us through Jesus Christ, God, the creator, the life giver, the light of the world, as having broken sin and condemnation in us? Do we see where new life has really begun? Do we see where past patterns do not dictate our identity or our future any longer? I think this is one of the most beautiful things that could be said to us that we are no longer slaves, but we are sons and daughters. And when John writes this about who Jesus is, that you're born of God, not of human means, not of a husband's will. Think about this for just a second. Because some of you, you feel like you've been dealt a bad hand in life. That you came up with a bad pattern, a bad system. You got bad genes, whatever it might be. But what Jesus invites us into is, is so much greater. And if we would just hear his words of who he is, that he is the creator, the life giver, the one who is from the beginning, and understand that the decision for you to take your first breath and the decision for you to take your last breath was never dependent upon your mother and father's decision. Oh, oh. I'm glad you're here, Rocky. That if you felt like in this world you're a slave, you're a slave to your past. You're a slave to, the, to your mistakes. You're a slave to your failures. Then grace speaks something so much louder. The blood of God that was shed says something so much greater. That be behind us and that we can have and come into a new identity. That of being sons and daughters of God. And if we are, does that change the way we approach him? Does that change our desire to be in his presence? To spend time with him? To know him? To love him? Are we allowing him to break the things in our past? That have stood in the way to strangle us. And the last question I want to ask you today is this. How does the truth of Jesus shape our future? In John 1, 14. 
Some of the most powerful words, I believe, in all of the Bible. The Word became flesh. God became like us. And He made His dwelling among us. And we have seen His glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. How does the truth of Jesus shape our future? Do we live in the revelation of His glory? Or do we still have our eyes stuck on the pattern of this world? Do we operate more by fate? Or are we moving by faith in the one who has secured everything that we need? Do we see things through the glory of heaven? How does that glory shape the way we see our future? Are we leaning in our strength? Are we trusting or are we trusting in his power? How does it affect the way we see people? When we look at people, do we see people with the, our natural eyes? Or do we see them through the, the revelation of heaven? Oh, there's so much I could say about this. Jesus gave these words as he, he went after the resurrection. He ascended to heaven. And, and sometimes I think that we don't connect the dots here. And when they asked Jesus as he's, best, best way to describe it is he's flown away. <laughs> I'm not sure what type of wave Jesus did. Maybe the princess wave, like, see you guys later. Or he's like, I'm out. <laughs> Mic drop. See you again soon. Jesus, when are you going to come and restore the kingdom? When, when are we going to, when, when, when? Oh, come on, come. You, 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 everything, I mean, you, you, you did. You are who you said you are. You are God. You are the redemption. But man, it's a mess down here. And I think these words in John 1 reflect this truth as Jesus is ascending to heaven. He said, look, it's not for you to know the times or the hours when the Son of Man will return, but, but go, be my disciples. Go and wait for the Holy Spirit to fill you. Why? Because the revelation of the glory of Jesus is in us. And what a great thing. But friends, it's not great if we haven't been shaped by the truth of who Jesus is. And instead of seeing that glory that he chose to put inside of us, we see things through a worldly perspective. We look at our future through the terms of what's in front of us. And we don't invite the Holy Spirit to show us the truth of Jesus as the one who is the beginning, who has called us into a future and has resourced us. We can see that grace for ourselves, but we struggle to see it with people. Oh, come on. We get fearful about our future. We don't know how to anchor ourselves in His promises, but He is grace and He is truth. 
Do we see things through the glory of Jesus in our life? This is it right here. John 14, 11 through 14. Jesus says, believe me when I say that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. And we find so many pretty ways to say this isn't really what Jesus meant to say. That somehow the glory of God in us is buffeted. But it's not, friends. When we come into that so great a salvation that Jesus gave us and we look and invite the Holy Spirit to reflect that in us, then the only natural response as we are submitted in him is that the glory of Jesus is going to come through us. But we have to invite that. It is who he is. It is who he is. There's only three questions today. How do you see him? Maybe you've received him. You made a confession with your mouth. You believed in your heart. You need to say, Jesus, Holy Spirit, would you reflect the truth of Jesus in me? I want to live up to that place. I can't do it. I need to take your yoke upon me. I can't do it in my strength. Holy Spirit, I need your help. Would you create in me the reflection of Jesus? Maybe some of you are fearful to approach God or you have the wrong understanding of how to approach God and you're you're basing it off of your mistakes and your issues and the things of your past. And friends, all you're saying is that the grace of Jesus isn't sufficient. Stop. He knows you. He loves you. He chose you. He forgave you. And he forgot your past. One more thing about the tabernacle really quick. So the entrance was at the east. In the the mercy seat where God dwelt was at the west. You know why the scripture doesn't say that God has forgotten your sins from the north to the south? Because the north has a pole, has a point. And the south has a pole, has a point. You can go, start at the south, and stop at the north. There's a start and a stop point. But you know what east and west doesn't have? A start and a stop. And so Jesus says this, you come in and you received me. You come in and you see me, the Holy Spirit, and guess what? You've got access into the very presence of who I am. And by the time you get to where my glory is, and this is where I want you to dwell in, everything that happened at the east side is forgotten on the west side because this is who you are. How do we change? How does that change the way we... We approach him. How does that change the way we desire him? How does, that, how does that change the way we get into his presence? Has that glory filled us? Has it begun to shape our future? Oh, make your plans. Make your plans. Plan, plan, plan away. 
at a certain point in time, stop and say, hey, Jesus, is this what you want to do? Can the glory, your glory be seen in this? Oh, man. So when God led the Israelites out of Egypt, there were two things that guided them. What were they? They were the cloud during the day, the pillar, the cloud, and then there were the fire at night. <laughs> oh, the only time, <clears throat> the only time that the pillar, the cloud, and the fire was not in front of the Israelites leading them leading them, that the glory was not in front of them, leading them. The only time that God's glory was not leading, was not leading, was not leading, is when Pharaoh turned his armies against them. And he said, Moses, go hold your hands up. And the scripture says, an east wind split the Red Sea. And the glory of God stood in between Israel's enemies and Israel as they parted on dry ground. God is always leading you through his glory, and he's always protecting you through his glory. Why did Jesus say, the glory of the Father you have seen? Because that glory is in you. Man. All right. Okay. Let's pray. Man, we need a revelation of that, don't we? Man. Sometimes we get in front of our battles and God says, look, get behind. Because I got your front and I got your back. All right. I'm always leading you. I'm always leading you through my glory. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today. Jesus, this is who you are. This is who you are. You are I am that I am. You are God. You are God. You are God. You are the creator. And I pray today that you would create in us all things new. According to your plans, Jesus. Holy Spirit, you begin to just blow and move inside of us. Lord, those dead areas. We don't have to wrestle with them. We don't have to fight against them. But Holy Spirit, would you just begin to blow fresh life into us as you testify of who Jesus is inside of us. You are the life, all things new. Lord, folks here that have sat at a crossroads and say, I don't see life in front of me. Jesus, you who are the beginning, be life, be life, be life. Let the revelation, Jesus, of your love surround our hearts to know that there is not a mistake that we've committed, that your grace does not cover, and that your future does not protect. Be light, shine into the areas of our life. Lord, if there's places that we need to confess before you, we confess those. We humble our hearts, Lord. We submit to you in obedience because you are God. Creating us, like David prayed, a clean heart, O oh Lord. Creating us a clean heart. Holy Spirit, help us to reflect 
who Jesus is. The glory of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray specifically, Lord, for those, Father, who are fighting in relationships in those areas of their life, Lord. Let your light shine upon them. Let your light, Jesus, shine upon them. Let it bring forgiveness, repentance, healing. Jesus, we invite your yoke. Rest upon our souls, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. Help us to submit to you. Lord, help us to approach you as the one who's given grace. Lord, help us to see your glory through us, Jesus, moving us into future, moving us into hope. We love you, Jesus, so much. Just right before we close this prayer, just put your hands on your heart. Say, Jesus, would you just seal in me the revelation of who you are, that I would know you in a greater way. Do what you need to do in me. I surrender, I submit. This morning, if you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, friends, and if you did a long time ago, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. But if you feel like you feel like this, this isn't a reflection of how God feels about you, but if you feel like, I feel far from God, just say, Jesus, I'm coming back to you because he is right there. I give you authority, Jesus, to move in me. I submit my life to you. I trust you for the care of my life. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.